The Rosary of Modern Sorrows brings a new meaning to the rosary by focusing on issues of social justice, a thoughtful gift for those who work for change in our church and world. Check out the Rosary of Modern Sorrows at contemplativerebellion.com. In the late 1970s, shortly after Terry and I married, we moved to the western suburbs, from the south side of Chicago to the western suburban area of Chicago, where we were uh, among very few African Americans who lived in the area. We had gotten this program through the, the Peace and Justice Office of the Archdiocese, and I really wasn't interested in anything that was just going to be uh, people talking about racism or having some persons or persons of color, they're exploiting their story and people get a nice uh, teary experience and we walk away and still nothing changes. So I was quite cynical about the idea. They had us in small groups and they gave us a series of questions to guide our conversation. There's about 10 people in a group. I was the only person of color in the group. And the rule was, the general rule was that we're going to speak freely and honestly, respectfully, but honestly. And it was a young man, part of the group, who was uh, married to one of the teachers at the school. And he very courageously, I thought, made a comment. He was directing it to me. He said that if he were to be completely honest, considering how he was raised, and particularly the racist attitudes that came from his father, he, he he fears that he may offend me. And that's when the Holy Spirit came upon me because I don't think I had this kind of wisdom to say it, but I just told him, I said, I can't say, I can't promise that I won't be offended by something you might say. Uh, but what I can promise is that I won't leave and that we'll stay in this process and we'll get to talk it out. And that became the key. We realized that that's what makes it work. It's commitment, that no one's running away. And that really affected the, the anti-racism work that I do today. I think that what we need today, uh, as we set out to really make the Catholic Church an anti-racist church, uh, that rather than trying to accommodate for, for safe space, that we really need to let go of that and, and, and think of it more as brave space, that we are going to risk comfort, that we're going to, uh, it's going to be bewildering for many people, uh, but we have to go through that. That's, that's part of our suffering that we have to do in order to really build that beloved community. And, and it's worth it. Andrew Like does it all. He's an author, a consultant, an entertainer, a marriage counselor. And for four years, he ran the Office for Black Catholics at the Archdiocese of Chicago. But regardless of what he's doing, he tries, in his own way, to wake his church up to see the reality of systemic racism. Black Lives Matter! 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 Black
Racism has always existed in the United States of America. It was embedded in the institution of slavery, spawned in the Jim Crow laws that legally enforced segregation, and it persists today in every strata of society. At every step along the way throughout history, there has been anti-racist efforts. And then that right in our faces, this lynching of George Floyd was such a horrible sight that it shook us as a society. How could this happen? For many of us Black folk, it was, it was almost like vindication, like, my God, finally you see it. From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic, a podcast about what's at stake in the 2020 election from the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. In this episode, we're reckoning with racial injustice. We're looking at how systemic racism relates to all the other issues and what it means for Catholics, especially white Catholics who benefit from those systems as they prepare to vote. So, Andrew, you're, you're speaking about why it's so important to linger in that moment of, of discomfort, of being uncomfortable and feeling like maybe you don't see the whole picture. You don't know what somebody else's experience actually is. And for a lot of white Catholics, you know, they might be thinking, well, I'm personally not racist, but this moment seems to be calling the Catholic Church in particular, white Catholics, to go a step further and to not stop at being not racist, but actually being proactively anti-racist. Yes. Is that right? Yes, yes. So much effort is in not disturbing white people's sense of comfort or even not disturbing white privilege. You know, we can... If we can throw money at the problem, we can do all kinds of things, but don't disturb white privilege. Don't make people feel guilt or shame. And my thought is that when I look at my life and my development as a follower of Christ, there have been many moments where I have felt disturbed and uncomfortable and ashamed. And, and, and those feelings pushed me toward bettering myself. Well, the same is very true with dealing with white fragility and, 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 and white racism. Oftentimes when people say, well, what can I do? I said, well, the first thing you need to do is be an interrupter. That no matter where you are, whether it's in the public square or at your family table, when you hear or see racist attitudes prevailing, challenge it. Just challenge it. Americans need to challenge it because to passively participate in a culture or system with racist roots is to enable that racism to continue in the bones of society and sometimes even to benefit from it. Dr. Tia Noel Pratt is a sociologist based in Philadelphia. She specializes in systemic racism in the Catholic Church 
and how that racism impacts African-American Catholic identity. I asked her to define structural or systemic racism. So, you know, when we talk about racism in our society, you know, we're usually talking about person-to-person or uh, mano-a-mano racism, which is, you know, those, those things that happen between individuals. So when we look at things like um, uh, using racial slurs or racist graffiti or, um, you know, burning crosses on people's lawns, it's, it's things like that. And our society has been stuck at that level of thinking for far too long. And what we really need to do is move as a society into a broader uh, mindset around systemic racism. Can you give me an example in society of a very, you know, clear expression of systemic racism? You know, when we when we're talking about systemic racism and we're talking about, um, you know, African-Americans being less likely to get um, small business loans, even when we talk about the church and we're talking about um, the way African-Americans in particular have uh, for many, many years were expressly excluded from the priesthood, from religious life, even in uh, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, did not ordain its first Black priest until 1974. And Black men weren't able to study at the seminary until about 20 years before that. So, you know, the ways in which these issues are embedded into our institutions are, are what we're talking about when we talk about systemic racism. Dr. Pratt, from a Catholic perspective, uh, racism is a sin. You know, the bishops of the United States have made statements condemning it, um, most notably Open Wide Your Hearts, which is a pastoral letter against racism that they issued in 2018. From your perspective, I mean, what are the bishops saying in that document and what has been the response to it? There are a number of issues with Open Wide Our Hearts. First of all, it was the the first letter from the USCCB in decades to address racism. Um, the fact that it, it took so long is something that we need to talk about. Uh, you know, in between brothers and sisters to us, and, and really, who was the us? I mean, that that doesn't center the. Uh, people in the church that, that need to be centered when we're ta- having this conversation. So oftentimes you're saying that the conversation is shaped as if, you know, we white European Catholics are, you know, brothers and sisters to these black people in America, but they're not really a part of our family. So even the framework from which the church speaks sometimes demonstrates a type of systemic racism. Absolutely. The, the call is coming from inside the house. And if we don't address what's happening in our own institutions, if we don't answer the call that's coming from inside the house, then it's pointless to talk about what's going on in in broader society, what's going on in in Minneapolis or Louisville or or wherever else. So if we are going to move as a church from this position of like neutrality, you know, where we condemn the person to person racism, but we say 
well, like, you know, I as a white Catholic, well, I'm not racist because I'm not perpetuating that individual racism, but I'm also not acknowledging the systemic racism that exists in the church. You're saying that the very first step for the church to be able to address racism, even before that person-to-person racism, is to look at itself and understand those systems which go back a very long way and to try to make those right. Absolutely. I mean, to to focus on personal racism, it, it allows white folks in particular to say, well, I don't use racial slurs or, you know, burn crosses on people's lawns. So none of this has anything to do with me. But when we move from that level of thinking into systemic racism, then what it forces all of us and white folks in particular to do is realize how the creation and perpetuation of these systems are designed to benefit some and intentionally harm others. And a reckoning with that is what we need and what this page turner moment in our society and in our church is calling us to do. We're conducting this interview in the context of a series on what it means to vote Catholic. But racism and white supremacy, as you're describing them in society and in the church, are pervasive. And so if we want to fairly and morally critique these policies, the individual policies and laws around the issues, we would have to see how racism and white supremacy are prevalent in all of them. Does that make sense? Is that a fair assessment in your judgment? Oh, absolutely. It's a fair to say that, you know, we're we're not going to as a society address any of these issues whether it's, you know, immigration, climate change, um, economic justice, education, fair wages, any of those things that are plaguing our society that we're not going to understand and address those in the way it needs to happen in order to create systemic change and build and truly build a better world unless we uh, focus on the way racism impacts all of those things and connects all of those things. You know, sometimes that means we have to acknowledge that systems are so harmful, so corrupt, that they can't continue in their their current form, that they just have to be dismantled and reformed in a way that is led from a place of justice. We'll be back right after this. This podcast is brought to you in part by Hallow, the number one Catholic prayer and meditation app. Build a habit of prayerful discernment both in this election season and in everyday life. For a 30-day free trial, head to hallow.com slash votingcatholic. Welcome back. In this episode, we're discussing systemic racism, how it's embedded in American society and in the structures of the Catholic Church. The Church teaches that racism is a sin, because it threatens human life and dignity, and all people, regardless of race or ethnicity, are children of God. But even with this clear teaching, systems of white supremacy are real and manifest themselves in ways that white Catholics don't always see. Here's Andrew Like, who you heard from at the beginning of the episode. We tend to hide behind our individualism. 
And it's important that people can see how just the very simple ways that we live, things that we take for granted, uh, play into a racist system. So for example, you know, we find it peculiar, but many whites don't, that, you know, you have these communities that are all white or churches that are all white. And and to recognize that, well, it's not just circumstances that make it that way. I think it's it, it's an ambiguous notion for most. When we talk about racism, are we talking about the same thing? Do people really understand it? You know, some people will say, you know, well, you know, I know black people. And I treat them well. I'm, I'm courteous. I'm kind. I'm generous. And all those things that make me a good person, I apply there. So I can't be racist. But if I'm content with living in privilege at the expense of people being subjugated to second class citizenship, I don't care how nice you are. <laughs> you participate in it. And and for me as a person of color, uh, I certainly appreciate kindness and 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 uh, good Christian charity and so forth. That that's good. But if you gave me a choice between that and justice, I'll take justice. Andrew, with everything that we've discussed about racism and systemic racism and how it's present even in the Catholic Church, which claims to be you know, anti-racist, at least in theory. How you as a Catholic, a Black Catholic, go about discerning how to vote in an election like the one that's coming up? Especially like the one that's coming up. Uh, it's, you know, I don't check anything at the door when I go into the voting booth. I bring my full self into it as a Catholic and as an African-American. Yes, I am anti-abortion, but I am also anti-racism. I am anti-mass incarceration. I am anti-death penalty. I'm also against all of those things that, that deteriorate the quality of life of people just because of a racial category. That is an abomination as much as as abortion is. And, and, and I think to bring that important message of the dignity of every human person to the to the masses, and particularly for me, bringing it into the black community as a Catholic, I, I feel that the church handicaps me when there is so little energy in all those areas that impact us so strongly in the black community. Yeah, abortion is among them, but it's far from being the only one. When we go into the voting booth, we should not have our blinders on and, and, and make those decisions and, and, and fight like hell. You know, that's, that's how I feel. I wanna fight like hell to make sure that the, the important message about the dignity of the unborn and how precious their lives are and, and how that, that's, that's raging in the black community. 
uh, I want to bring that message out. But the truth is the Catholic Church just doesn't have much credibility behind that in the Black community. And, and that's more due to neglect and not being there on the front line in the war against racism and mass incarceration, those things that impact so many facets of life in the Black community. Andrew, I'm wondering, in light of everything we've discussed about racism and the Catholic Church, um, why you choose to remain Catholic, why it's important for you to stay within a community that we know participates in systemic racism today? I am a lifelong Catholic and committed to my faith because I love my church. Now, loving my church doesn't mean agreeing with my church, just like loving my children doesn't mean I always agree with them. But I don't allow such disagreements to divorce me from them. The only way I'm leaving the Catholic Church is going to be through excommunication. <laughs> I am a lifelong Catholic and committed to that, and I cannot settle for going along to get along, that I have to be about building the beloved community, which is the kingdom of God right here, right now. And I believe that what we say in our history and everything in, in the Catholic Church, we are equipped to lead the charge in that. And, and that's what I work for. That's what I hope for. And I hope I can live long enough to see some of that come about. Thank you very much, Andrew. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed being here with you. Next time on Voting Catholic, we look at religious liberty. This isn't about preventing the LGBTQ community from adopting. It's about protecting religious organizations from having to choose between helping children and honoring their faith. We speak with public policy expert George Weigel about what's at stake. This is an ongoing negotiation in any democracy. What is the right of the church to publicly conduct worship? What is the responsibility of the state to provide for public health? What happens when those things can seem to come into conflict? For complete coverage of the 2020 election from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us. It's really easy to do. Visit americamagazine.org slash donate or subscribe to our award-winning print magazine. Thank you for your support. And if you know somebody who would enjoy this podcast, let them know about it. That's the simplest way to spread the word about the series. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written and produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane. With production assistance from Kevin Robles and Erica Rasmussen. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. It was recorded at a safe distance in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York City. 
Voting Catholic was made possible by the generous support of Beth and Tom Rainey. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening. Voting Catholic is brought to you in part by the Rosary of Modern Sorrows, a rosary and meditation that focuses on Catholic social justice issues. Each decade addresses the sorrows of racial injustice, climate change, immigration, women and children, and more. Rediscover the rosary. Visit contemplativerebellion.com.